You're listening to These Are The Days. So welcome back to These Are The Days. Massive thanks to John Mitchell for being my guest last time. Tales of Room at the Top, Big Red Balls, Epic Highs and the Lowest of Lows. It's bloody brilliant to hear he's in such a good place these days. Give us a follow on social media. We're at The Days Podcast and check out the website, thedayspodcast.com. These are the days. My next guest, along with his wife, made the crazy decision to take their kids on a year-long trek around the world. You're going to hear about their inspirational, educational and entertaining journey from Bali to Beijing, Edinburgh to Ecuador. It certainly wasn't your average trip. This is episode 21 of These Are The Days. Follow the podcast on social media. We're at The Days Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So my guest this week is part of the family who went backpacking for a year around the world, not just alone, with his wife, an eight-year-old girl, a ten-year-old boy, and really I can't wait to hear about it. Ian Pillbeam is my guest. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. How are you? Hey, I'm well, so good, really good and delighted to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Ronnie. Yeah, listen, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, looking into uh, yourself and your story before, obviously, this came up, uh, Edinburgh is your adopted hometown. We like to always get a bit of background on our guests. So how have you ended up in Aldriki as your hometown at the moment? I have this uh, I have this cunning theory that uh, the... Uh, the Scots send their women over the border to find a, a husband and bring them back because I have so many friends to whom that's happened. And, uh, well, that's what happened in my case. So uh, I met my lovely wife uh, nearly 30 years ago on the Isle of Wight. Um, she's from Aberdeen, uh, but she uh, she did her university education in, in Edinburgh at Queen Margaret's College, as it was uh, back then. So uh, we met down on the Isle of Wight. It took us a few years to move back up, up here, but she always wanted uh, to move back to Edinburgh eventually. So, you know, being the wonderful husband that I am, we made it happen. Yeah. What, what was <laughs> it? Um, been, here 20, been here 20 years, so what, what, it was a good decision. What was it like going to Edinburgh? You've been there before. Did you know kind of half what to expect or was it all brand new? By the time we moved up, I did. Um, when I met her, I didn't. So at that point, and I'd have been in my mid-20s when we met, my... Time spent in Scotland uh, was a grand total of one afternoon uh, when we did it. My parents and I did a day trip from a caravan holiday in Northumberland uh, when I think I was about seven. And all I remember is some people playing tiddlywinks in Princess Street Gardens. That was my sole memory of Scotland. Uh, but once I met Anne, we, we, we'd come up for Hogmanay and the festivals and uh, either go to Aberdeen or stay in Edinburgh or both. So I started to get... A, to, to know the city a bit. Uh, so, yeah, I was very happy to move up, yeah. in spite of the climate. <laughs> Listen, it's a, it's a beautiful part of the world as well. I mean, I think Scotland as a whole is very nice. Have you managed being the traveller that you are? Have you got around quite a bit of Scotland? Not as much as I would have liked to. Um, we tend to say in our family that the route that we know best in Edinburgh is from our home to the airport. Uh, and that is true. Uh, in fact... I guess that was one of the benefits of lockdown was it forced us to not get on a plane so much and actually just explore where we live uh, and discover not only every nook of nook and cranny of Edinburgh, but also get in the car and head up north. So, you know, this time, exactly this time last year, a uh, year ago yesterday, uh, I was driving from Olness, uh, so probably up, up the the east coast right across to the northwest tip of Sutherland um which was glorious absolutely glorious so yeah it's it's there's much more to see much more to see but yeah. uh, we'll cram it in is there any uh, is there anything you you would really recommend like if someone's no been to Edinburgh and you found it last year what's something they've got to do or place to go I actually found the I mean Edinburgh's famous for the seven hills um and you know, I've frequently taken visitors up Carlton Hill. Uh, and earlier this year, back in February, March time, uh, we unfortunately had dry rot at home and had to move out for hmm, six, seven weeks, um, which is when I finished and launched the book, which we'll, we'll come on to, I'm sure. Um, and just going up Carlton Hill for dawn and for sunset 
and actually it was snowy at the time. Just, just stunning, absolutely stunning. So uh, that's a place that in the area of Edinburgh where I live, it's the other end of town. Uh, so really, really good to explore that. But yeah, there's so many, I and mean, there's so many wonderful bars and restaurants and cafes in Edinburgh and, and little little vennels and all, all the rest of it. It's just a wonderful place, just nice to walk around. Yeah, it really is, especially on a decent day because well known for our weather now and again but anyway um obviously we'll we'll cover you know before during and after of the of the trip um where i mean we have to start where did the trip become an idea then reality so we were sat in a bar good start <laughs> all, the best, all the best all the best stories start with we were sat in a bar so we were sat in a bar um and the kids were seven and nine at the time and this bar was in southern Turkey, and we were on a traditional package holiday. And I, I said to the kids one night, where do you fancy going next on holiday? And they said, can we have a think about that, Dad, and come back to you? And I, was like, I guess it was probably Daddy at the time. So, okay, fair enough, kids. So the next night, same bar, I asked them a question again, the same question again, and they produced a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper was a list of 10 countries. And each of these countries was inspired by animals because kids at that age all love animals. So we had China panda bears, we had Australia kangaroos, we had Madagascar lemurs, uh, Peru llamas, Africa lions, etc. And Cyprus, uh, for the sole reason that my daughter's nursery teacher, Mrs. Kalamidis, had retired to Cyprus and she wanted to go and see it. So Cyprus didn't make the list. But... um, Okay, interesting list. Quite like the look of that myself. Uh, And then there was a conversation between between my wife and I, which was basically, I wonder if you can get a round-the-world ticket for families. Now, neither of us had done that kind of gap year thing when we were were students, not interrailed or anything. Uh, But I wonder if you can. So there was a – this is 2007, so there was a – there was a dial-up computer that you had to almost feed the meter in the bar. So the next morning morning we did that and discovered that you could. Um, And the crazy idea very quickly germinated into a plan. And within three weeks of getting back from that holiday, I was negotiating my exit from a secure, well-paid HR director role that I loved. Um, and this was, uh, we'd not heard of Lehman Brothers at that point in time. So there was no sign of the economic crash of 2008-9 that was to come. Uh, but quit the job and um, left at the end of November. Uh, we decided to let the kids complete the school year. So uh, I headed off to Sri Lanka for three months to do a voluntary project. Um, in the heat of their civil war, there were lots of bombs going off all around me, but I wanted to learn how to travel because I was going to be responsible for taking my kids around the world for a year. Uh, and then came back from that, we rented the house down, packed it out, packed everything away and off we went. So yeah, it was crazy conversation that just turned out to be uh, quite literally the best thing that we have ever done individually and as a family. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything. There's so many questions. People listening to this all have so many questions as well. So hopefully we capture them all. But when you got the list from from the kids, did you then try to plan out those 10 initially or did it quickly just go, let's just go around the world? Let's just make it easy on ourselves. <laughs> I spent many, many, many hours planning and researching. Um the internet in 2007 was not what it is now. And in one sense, that was probably a good thing because you just imagine how many rabbit holes you could go down now. Uh, but there were enough. And I remember one day, for example, starting at five in the morning on the laptop and still being there at six in the evening, just a straight stretch of 13 hours research. And the way an around the world ticket works is you, you have to go in one direction. So you're going to either clockwise or anti-clockwise and you pick a number of continents. And then within each continent, you have a number of sectors that you can use, a number of, number of flights that you can use. So we opted for four continents and then tried to work out, yes, being informed by those 10 countries, 
which I think we went to probably seven or eight. Um, I think Canada polar bears was another one we we, we passed on. Um, and we kind of parked North America because just thought it was going to be very expensive and we can kind of go to the States anytime. Uh, Europe was obviously out for the same reason. Um, and that then left Africa, Asia, Australasia, Oceania, and South America. And the route kind of emerged from there. And I, I had a strong affinity and have a strong affinity with South Africa. The whole anti-apartheid thing was my cause celebrity as a, as a student. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to see Mandela in the flesh three times. So that was very, very much part of my heart. So I wanted to take the family there. So that's a nice direct flight, overnight flight down to Cape Town, one hour's time difference, nice and easy. As it was, we landed and three hours later, we were on top of Table Mountain, which is a great way to start. So, and I like bookends. So the way it worked is we drew, drew the line through the continents was our final stop was Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Okay, so you start with a, a famous city by the ocean with an iconic mountain and you finish with one. And that to me just felt like a nice way to wrap it up. Uh, so yeah, the, the plan plan emerged. It was largely driven by those flights, but in some places, of course, we were off grid and buses, trains, whatever, that, that kind of added into the journey and the adventure. Yeah. Um, before we just touch on the journey, when you speak to your employer at the time, there has to be a question by on the record or off the record with your employer and you tell them you're going to travel the world. I'm assuming they're just looking at your jaws on the floor thinking, really? I think there are not just my employer and my colleagues, but friends and family as well, was some people are just in awe or just dead jealous for others, it's like, what on earth would you want to do that for? They don't say it, but it's what they're thinking because their experience of travel with kids is based on one or two weeks summer holiday. And I don't know about your listeners, but I can think of many family holidays where when we got back from that holiday, I was desperate to go on holiday without them. You know, just do your head in. So, um, I think a lot of people thought it was that and they viewed it as a holiday. And one of the things that used to drive me up the wall, particularly afterwards when we got back, was people saying, how was your holiday? And I would scream, it wasn't a holiday. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was life changing. But it was our life for a year. It was our life, not a holiday. A holiday is something you go away, you come back very quickly. Yeah. Put your feet up in most cases. So yeah, also all sorts of reactions. Yeah, um, I could. But, I, I mean, you could just imagine from friends and family, but I just imagine you go to an employer and they think, oh, you know, is there anything we do to keep you? You know, where else are you going? What have you been offered? And you're like, it's going around the world. It's all right, mm -hmm. I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> obviously, you started Cape Town. Then, could you take us through what, what, what kind of where you went in Africa? What kind of sites you seen? Kind of what? How was it for travelling? Stuff like that. Yeah, so we, we started with a week in Cape Town. Um, this was beginning of July, which is their winter. So I knew that when we were, when we landed and the sun, we landed on the tarmac at 7am, there's a red sky. I've seen the weather forecast and I knew if we didn't get a table mountain by lunchtime, we wouldn't see it. They had a thing called the tablecloth that descends on it, which is the cloud. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So we had a we had a wet and windy um, week in in Cape Town. We did, for example, we took. I wanted to make sure that the the kids understood how lucky they were, um, and we did some good as we went along. And that didn't mean you know doing some of the extreme volunteer things that you can do. You might do as an adult, but we took a, a hold all of fifty or sixty kids' football shirts that their friends. Had my son's friends had donated in his football team and took those to a township football team and donated them. Uh, so there were, there probably still are, I'm sure they've been handed on these shirts, but there probably still are kids running over. There's a kid somewhere in Cape Town running around with a, a Falkirk ch children's football shirt <laughs> uh, with Gervin on the back. That's just one of the neighbours. Um, and yeah, then we, 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 Kind of did a road trip up and through Kwazi Natal, uh, Kruger, 
So did the whole wildlife thing, you know, the whole the whole lot. Um, and then we went from Joburg to Mauritius. Now, Mauritius was not on my list of places to go to. But when I was finalizing the round the world ticket with the agent, he said, you've got one less set, one sector left in Africa. And I went, okay, where can we go? And there was two or three options. And Mauritius was one of them. And I take at this point taken off the plan because I just couldn't make it work. I'd taken off Madagascar. Now that was on the kids list and they really wanted to go. And if your listeners get the map out, they'll see that Madagascar is just a short hop from Mauritius. Right? So we spent a few nights in Mauritius, um, which is not a backpacker destination. It's an all-star, sort of an all-inclusive honeymoon destination. We spent a few nights there. Then we had eight or maybe 10 days in Madagascar. Amazing, wonderful, sadly changed dramatically in the intervening period. Um, a great time there, back to Mauritius and back to Joburg. Oh, we went to Swaziland, which is in South Africa, but very different. A lot of poverty and the highest incident of AIDS, HIV in, in the world. Mm. Uh, so that's quite a sad place to go. But yeah, lots and lots of wildlife. And that took us a couple of months. So we just kind of slow traveled around. And initially it felt like a holiday. Uh, and then there was that thing where you go to the airport, but you don't go home which is a nice, nice feeling. Uh, And then you leave a country completely and you go to a different country uh, and you have to, and you suddenly get the guidebook because you can't carry 20 guidebooks around with you. So you've suddenly just gone and bought it. So yeah. And it started to morph into more of a trip and an adventure as we got into those next stages. But the first five weeks were kind of an extended holiday in South Africa. Yeah. What was there? Where would you be staying in Africa? Would you stay in hotels or would you, what would you do? So we stayed in uh, a variety of types of accommodation. Um, so it's before Airbnb, but you could kind of find apartments and things like that online. And for a family of four, if you could find an apartment, it's ideal. A hostel, you pay per person. So you would think hostels with backpackers, you think hostels would be cheap, but actually they're not. Um, and hotels you're really trying to find a family room, which isn't that easy. Uh, and if you can't find that, you're booking two hotel rooms. Mm. So we did do some of all of that. Um, we stayed in Kruger. We stayed in uh, a tent on a stilted platform and a Rondavel, which is like a round, traditional round hut. Um, we stayed in a thatched cottage um, in Swaziland in, on a nature reserve. Um, we stayed in a, on another place, um, which was called the Sinque Lodge. And the Sinque is, uh, means bush baby. Um, we stayed in a tree house um, with very, very intermittent um, uh, electricity. Uh, so every time we put the, the, the pasta pan on, the, the electricity went. Uh, so, yeah, a variety of different places. But, uh, and that mixed it up. And for the whole year, we our average um, nightly stage was three point five nights, so that okay. was the average. Yeah, um, and that's probably about what we did for, for the African leg. Yeah, yeah. That's it. again. It's it's one of these things. You know, I, I've never been to Africa, um, any of kind of eight countries, but you just think, I wonder how you live. You know, because. I mean, for for an around the world trip, you know, it's uh, you've got a lot to plan in there, and I'm just thinking, right now, with Airbnb, it'd be a lot easier. But anyway, um, from Africa, where did you where did you head to next? Okay, so uh, flight from Joburg to Hong Kong, uh, four nights in Hong Kong. Then we overlanded um, over the Chinese border, so into China, uh, where we then took a flight to a place called Yangshu. Uh, it's got stunning cast uh, limestone um, countryside and and then to Beijing and we hit Beijing we deliberately avoided the Olympics so this is the the 2008 Olympics were on while we were sort of remember watching them when we were in Mauritius, in Mauritius so we thought well, we don't want to go to Beijing during the Olympics we're too expensive too busy and it wasn't until until we were in China that we realised that actually the Paralympics would be on when we were there. 
So that was amazing. So we spent some time at the Paralympics and did the Great Wall and all that sort of stuff. Then we spent a couple of weeks in Japan, uh, which was my wife's favourite country. Uh, then the wheels started to come off. So all sorts of things went wrong, which I'll not, I'll not put spoilers in here, but this is when the fun really started to happen. Um, when I uttered the immortal words to my wife, it's going quite well, isn't it, all this planning? I'm just really worried that I might make a mess of something. And bang, it all happened. Um, so uh, from there to Bali and then uh, Malaysia and Borneo um, and uh, Thailand and Cambodia and finish up in, finishing up in Singapore. So that was a three-month leg, I think, three-month leg in Asia. Yeah, but I've been to Thailand and, that I mean, that's a crazy place. Like I went to, to Bangkok and all I could hear was, car horns and then went to a place called Wahin and I never seen a car it was amazing it was such a kind of different place but it's an interesting place Thailand like it's a real mm. interesting from culture to food to, to drink to shopping to everything about it I always thought it was an incredible place and I'd I'd really like to go to Tokyo like I, that's kind of always been a something that would be quite a cool idea but then I see pictures of it and it looks a thousand miles an hour and I go maybe not ready for anything like that yet um yeah the beauty about tokyo is that it is a thousand miles an hour but the trains are nearly the same (laughs) the shinkansen the bullet trains so we got a so we based ourselves in tokyo for a couple of weeks Mm. in the smallest apartment you'll ever see uh i mean we had to go in you had to go sideways into the bathroom uh but um we bought a family uh rail pass for the two weeks which you have to do outside of japan you can't buy it when you're in country so we, we bought that in advance and that allowed us to go to places like kyoto and hiroshima um and yokohama so that kind of mixed it up a bit yeah fantastic place yeah yeah go when you can yeah Definitely go. it always it always certainly looks it as well and it looks up it looks a place as well you know for amazing food you know we get a wee taste of it over here but i'm assuming being there that getting the real things a total different ball game yeah well we're we're a vegetarian family and that with a with a sudden with a peanut allergy, so food was interesting for us in many mm. countries. Um, and the way the currency was at that time, Japan was incredibly expensive for us, incredibly expensive. So we mainly self catered, um, which is looking back is gut wrenching really because we all absolutely love sushi. And you know, in the West, you can get veggie sushi very very easily, but actually much harder to get it in Tokyo, at least back then. Uh, so yeah, um, a few few pasta meals again. <laughs> pasta with tomato sauce was a very regular uh, culinary experience in the Philippine uh, uh, household, wherever we were. <laughs> yeah, for the, uh, the the kind of Asian leg, what would what was your favourite country, or what was your favourite bit of that leg? Maybe the bit I'm not going to tell you about because I didn't think it would happen. Okay, so I would be okay. I would be it would be a spoiler for the ball. It's fine. But there was a there was a location that I thought we weren't going to be able to get to that I really wanted to. Okay. And in the end we did, and it was off the planet. And if you think Thailand's out there, uh, I'll say it, Cambodia, right? If you think Thailand's out there, Cambodia is a different level uh, because it hasn't westernized to the same extent. Mm. And again, probably in the decade since it has a bit more, um, but we, um, we did, I'll just tell you this a little bit. So we did a, we did a land crossing from Thailand into Cambodia, there and back. And uh, modern minibus on the way from Bangkok, um, dual carriageways, all very Western. Get to a market town. You then cross on foot this quarter of a mile border, which is full of um, casinos, rammed with casinos because gambling is illegal in both countries. So they come to no man's land to, to, to do day, day and overnight gambling get through into Cambodia and it's like you've stepped out of a TARDIS into a, an 1880s Western town. There are no roads. There's no pavements. It's just wow. Uh, and yeah, a fascinating experience. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, see, Thailand's an incredible place. If you've never been, get yourself and then get to Cambodia and we'll get an even better experience. Um, like, see, I mean, are you about six, seven months into this now? But by, by then, was it was it kind of like that? And then where did you go next? 
So this takes us to the end of November. Okay, so Christmas is on the horizon. Yeah, so this so we start on the first of July. So we're, we're five months in, um, and the reason I can say that with certainty is next stop is Australia. So we spent three months in Australia. It was supposed to be less, but we shortened Asia and took out Vietnam, which was on our plan because of my son's notology. He just wasn't eating enough. My wife's a dietitian, by the way, so we were very food aware and she was looking after us in that respect. And we, so we flew from Singapore to Perth in Western Australia um, to get a bit of Scotland because the next day I got on the train and went from Perth to Stirling to pick up the hire car. Um, but we had been talking as we've been going around the, the sweltering heat of um, Asia about that first pint of cold Aussie lager that I was going to have. So um, we got taxi into Perth, dumped our bags in the, the apartment, went round the corner to the nearest pub at four in the afternoon, and I went in to get that pint of Castlemaine Four X or whatever it was going to be. And it was St Andrew's Day, and on special, on draft was Belhaven Best. Right <laughs> now, at the time, we lived in Dunbar, the home of Belhaven Brewery. That beer was brewed half a mile from our house. But I still have the beer mat that I took from there. Um, so, yeah, we, it took us longer to get to, to Perth in Western Australia, I think, than, uh, than it took the beer. Uh, so we spent uh, a month in WA, uh, including Christmas. Uh, and we went to see the koala bears on Christmas Day. Uh, and then we flew to Sydney in time for Hockmanay. Oh, amazing. Uh, and I had a former colleague who lived in Sydney, so we, we, we crashed there, uh, spent Hogmanay there, Sydney Harbour, fireworks, uh, and then picked up a car, did a road trip to Melbourne, um, which we loved. We arrived just at the start of the Australian Open tennis, which we didn't know was going to happen. Um, so we still have a Australian Open 2009 uh, programme signed by Rafa Nadal. Uh, and we saw Djokovic play, so that was, that was great. Um, and then back to Sydney, pick up a camper van, and then the plan was to drive up to Cairns. So you're going up the East Coast, up into tropical Queensland. Um, now, Australia is a crazy place when it comes to climate. We talked about Scotland and its climate, nothing compared to Australia. So down in Victoria, in Melbourne, when we were there, there were... Uh, the Victoria bushfires, which at the time was the worst ever bushfires that Australia had had. And there were a lot of fatalities. Of course, it was even worse last year. Um, when we got to Queensland, there were floods. Right? The state was officially in drought, yet 60% of, of the land was underwater. Uh, there were stories of um, you know, alligators in towns in the floodwater and all sorts. So we could only get halfway to Cairns. Um, but that was fine because we just stopped, hunkered down, splashed in the warm waters, the, the, the whatever ocean it was for a few days and just, just loved it and actually got back to why we were traveling in the first place, which was never about ticking off bucket lists. It was actually about quality family time. Mm-hmm. So actually, that just forced us almost to stop chasing the next place in the, the lonely planet and just spend quality time with the kids, which is just brilliant. Yeah. And in some ways, that week of bodyboarding in the warm water with the kids is is my favourite week of the whole the whole experience. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, my uh, cousin emigrated to America. America, Australia, sorry, a, a good while ago now. And every Christmas day when I see his photos at the beach with the sun and loads of people there. I just think it's so bizarre. Did you see anything like that or were you just doing your own thing? Because I just think that's, it's so random, like for us, because uh, we're hoping for snow. We didn't, you know, we're, we're desperate for it. Whereas they're like, I'm off to the beach. I'm going to surf. Yeah, we, we struggled with Christmas. That was, I mean, we're six months in. Mm. Um, now a year is a long time to travel. It's a long time to be away. Uh, on your own, let alone, or as a couple, let alone as a family. So there were points in the trip when homesickness kicked in for different members. Um, personally, 
I was a bit like your brother. I was delighted to be in the sunshine for Christmas. Right? That was great. But the rest of the fa- the rest of the family really struggled with it, to be honest. They missed the whole the whole run up. My daughter, you know, she's she's eight at the time. Um almost still believes in Santa. You know, we're 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 going to a pound shop, a dollar store to buy a little crappy little Christmas tree and some decorations for a buck. We're wrapping Christmas presents. Well, we can't we can't buy anything that we can't fit in our backpacks. You know, it's a very limited little bits of jewellery and things like that. Mm. Uh, and we're wrapping them in tinfoil and putting them under this tree. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the same, but yeah, it's all part of the experience. Yeah, and to, to see the kind of uh, Sydney Harbour kind of fireworks would be an amazing way to bring in the new year. Um, from Australia then, where, where do you head next? So we then head to New Zealand, not not illogically. Mm-hmm. Um, we arrived in New Zealand expecting to spend three weeks there and within two days doubled it because we just loved it too, so much. Um, and again, we were travel weary by this point. Mm-hmm. We were travel weary. And New Zealand re-energised us in many ways. Uh, we were fortunate that my wife had a colleague who was on a two-year placement out there. So we could stay with them initially. And that, that, that was helpful. Uh, and we split our time between the North and South Islands. Uh, and of course, it's, if any you listen, I know, have you been, been to New Zealand? No, it's it? Australia certainly on the list. That would be amazing. Oh. And New Zealand would be pretty cool as well. Yeah, there's a strong affinity between New Zealand and Scotland. It felt like home, except their, their volcanoes aren't dormant. Um, but, but yeah, felt, it felt very familiar in terms of its landscape and its culture. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we loved New Zealand, um, but there were moments there when we thought, Do you know what, we're tired. Should we just go home? Should we should we pass on South America and just go home from Auckland? And if we'd not had our house rented out, and therefore would have been homeless when we got back, I think we might have done. Mm. Honestly, think we might have done, which would have been a most colossal mistake. But just part of this travel fatigue that inevitably kicks in when you're you're moving all the time. Yeah, because I was going to ask if there was a point that it just maybe did get too much for yourself or or whatever. Because it's like you're saying, you know, it's those sacrifices you make back home. Because I say, if you go back and the house is up for rent for another four months, what are you meant to do? Like, what are you meant to do? Do you then just put? You obviously push on through. And then keep keep going with the adventure. Something m- maybe happens as well. And then uh, was it from there to South America you then went? It was. But the the other point that's worth bearing in mind is what was happening in the world at this time. So there was a moment, for ex- example, in Japan, which was, what, three months in, when we watched the world's economy just fall to pieces. Of course, yeah. Right? So I've quit this secure job. Yeah. My wife's on a zero-hours contract with the NHS. And I actually applied for a job at that point. And I said to Anne, look, if I get this job, then um, maybe I can negotiate a delayed start and we can just finish this trip in three months and go back. Or maybe you, maybe I go back and you keep going with the kids. Um, now, thank goodness, the head headhunting agency that were handling the job when I asked them whether they would interview me by video conference, they said, no, we've got plenty of candidates. We'll pass, thank you. Right? So they didn't want to interview me by, by Skype. Ironic, given the world we now live in, of course, and we would do everything by, yep. <laughs> by Zoom. Um, so, we, so we had to keep going at that point. But uh, yeah, you just, um, in our case, we didn't have an option to go home, really. Um, there was another family that, we got to know a few other traveling families and made some lifelong friends through that. Uh, there was another family who um, they left Washington DC uh, almost on the same day we left Scotland and they went in one direction. So they went to South America first and we're going to, and then we're going to go and then Australia, Asia, Africa was their route. And obviously we were going the other way. So we, we corresponded and we actually met them. Uh, on the steps of the Sydney Opera House on New Year's Day uh, and spent two or three hours chatting with them. And 
everything that we were feeling, they were feeling, which is really great. You know, the, you know, the dads we talked about, the, the pressure of planning and getting, trying to get everything right because you wanted, if your kids weren't happy, you know, you, you book somewhere that's horrible, your kids aren't happy and just ruins the whole thing. Um, the mums talked about how stroppy kids can ruin even the most amazing place. Um, you know, you know they'd been to Machu Picchu and a hormonal 13-year-old had just had a, one of those days and destroyed the experience for everybody. So so we, sh- we shared all these stories. They went home a few weeks later. Oh, wow. They'd just, they'd just had enough, Yeah, uh, maybe seven or eight months in. But I'm so glad we didn't because you're right, we went to South America next and it was – an amazing experience. Yeah. And um, when, when you go there, you, you're what, a few months from the end or because you, you, you obviously stayed a little bit longer in New Zealand, didn't you? Yeah. So we're, we're at Easter Okay. Uh, at this point. So I deliberately wanted to get there in time for Easter because I'd heard all about these amazing processions and everything else that they have in, in South America. And they do, but not in, um, not in Chile, which is where we started. Mm. Uh, so we arrived in Santiago on, um, uh, the Thursday before Easter, and nothing happened. There was nothing. There were no Easter celebrations at all. Um, we flew up, to, then flew up to Ecuador uh, on the evening of Easter Monday, um, just as they finished amazing Easter celebrations. <laughs> um, and we based ourselves in Quito, uh, which is way up in altitude. We based ourselves there for a month. So this was when we're just like, let's just put some roots down and just slow it down a bit. Um, but use that as a base for a couple of side trips as well, so the Galapagos Islands and the Amazon. Um, see, I just say these things quite nonchalantly, but they're quite amazing, really. That, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I've done yeah. that, been the Amazon. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's what we did. <laughs> so we spent a month there, then we headed down into Peru uh, and did the same thing. We based ourselves in Cusco, which is right in the heart of the Andes, and it's kind of the the gringo capital of South America. So it's a nice crossroads, so lots of backpackery stuff and cafes where you can get Western foods, but also an intensely cultural experience, the whole, it's kind of the heart of the Inca Empire. Uh, And we're able to go to um, Machu Picchu and Lake Titicaca and a side trip into Bolivia uh, and just have some amazing experiences. And Peru was my favourite country, the whole the whole thing. Uh, partly because I'd always wanted to go, because um, when I read Paddington Bear as a, as a wee nipper, Great Aunt Lucy came from deepest, darkest Peru, and it just imprinted something in my mind. So I'd always been fascinated by it, and it didn't let me down. Yeah. Uh, so we did that, and then finished off with those few days in Rio. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you're, obviously, you've, you've started this journey, you know, near enough, 12 months beforehand, you've got to that point where you've extended stays, you've shortened stays, you've hit that wall, you've hit the wall again, you've maybe hit a wall again. What was it like getting to Rio and seeing, like, um, you know, the, that that site? I mean, you're, you said a, a little while ago, you started at an amazing place, getting to see an amazing, you know, thing that if you see on a picture, everyone's seen that picture. They could tell you where it is. What's it like then in Rio when you get to there for the last little small leg of the tour sadly anticlimactic oh, oh right <laughs> two reasons two reasons rio is wonderful and if i was to go again i'd go in carnival i'd go in february and go in carnival uh two reasons first of all the weather was dis- dis- distinctly meh yeah. right right we were there in their winter because we're now back to that end of june yeah right? middle of june i think um so we were staying just in, we were staying in Ipanema, Ipanema, just off the beach. So we've got Ipanema Beach, Copacabana Beach. Um, yeah, stunning. But it wasn't, it wasn't the image that you have of, of the bronzed bodies and all the rest of it. Um, but the second reason, more fundamentally, was we were ready for home. Right? And I'd always imagined that the last thing we would do on our last day was to take a helicopter ride over Rio and circle rounds, price the Redeemer. And when we got there, it was 150 quid a person, so it was 600 quid, right? Now, by this point, we're down to our last five grand in the world, right? I've got no job. There's a raging recession, and Anne's on a zero-hours contract. 
And we were starting to, our currency became Asda shops, right? So we went, if we do that, that's one Asda shop, three Asda shops, whatever it was. So we were becoming extremely cost, cost aware, not that we hadn't been through the whole year. So I think that just put a bit of a dampener on it and we were just ready for home. Mm. And I think wondering what was going to happen because of all that uncertainty. So, yeah, bit, bit, bit of a shame, really. I would, I would do Rio again, but in a very different way. I think we'd have felt like that anywhere. You know, on a two-week holiday, that last day is just a little bit weird, particularly if you've got an evening flight. It's too long. It was that, it was that on steroids. Yeah. Ah, right, okay. What was, it, what was it like getting on the, the flight home? Like actually knowing you're going home? I don't think I can remember it. I remember the taxi journey from Rio out to the airport. Mm. Uh, let's see if it comes back to me. So I remember that, and there was a massive log jam traffic jam, and so panicking that we were going to miss it. I remember the airport being quite dross. And you think Rio Airport would be really high quality, but it was it wasn't. Um, the flight would have been to Heathrow, I guess. Yeah, more I think likely. it was Heathrow, which is where we'd started. Fairly long flight as uh, well, won't it? It'll be fairly. Yeah, yeah, been an overnighter, so maybe I just watched some movies and slept. I yeah. can't a little bit. I can't remember. Um, I remember we're at Heathrow. A um, couple of things. So, Anne picked up a real problem with her eye, which has given given her a lot of jip. In fact, when we got home, the first thing she had to do, do was go to the eye pavilion uh, and get some treatment. So she was in a lot of trouble. So I remember at security, they let her through as a priority, but not the rest of us. So she got through and then just had to stand there waiting for us. So it didn't help anybody. I remember that the kids wanted to buy uh, Nintendo Wii's, so it was cheaper to buy them at the airport. So we ended up going back to Dunbar with a couple of brand new uh, Nintendo Wii's because uh, they've been carrying around Nintendo DS's mm. for, for a year. Um, and I remember that quite randomly we saw I saw Kate Moss in boots, um, as, as you do. Listen, not uh, a bad way to end up a trap. I mean, no, as long as your wife's not caught you, that's all. Yeah, I had three three celebrity spots through the year. Um, I, I bumped into and had a good long chat with Adam Hills, the Australian comedian, uh, at the Paralympic Games in uh, Beijing. He was commentating on the, the wheelchair basketball, which is an amazing experience. Mm. Uh, so I had a good long chat with Adam. Um, I, and I didn't chat to, and I wish I had actually, but I was stood next to uh, Neil Finn from Crowded House, Okay. Uh, at the in Auckland Airport, when I was buying a coffee and he was buying a bacon butty, and he stood to my right, and I'm thinking, I'm sure that's Neil. Finn. I love crowded house. I'm sure that's Neil Finn. Um, and as he went went to pay, I, I glimpsed at his bank card, and sure enough, it said Mr. N. Finn. Uh, and I so wish I'd uh, had the. I didn't want to bother him, but yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, Kate Moss was the last of the trilogy of uh, celebrity spots from a year away. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's incredible. Um, over the trend, I might be hard to nail down and and whatever. But d- did you have a, a, a kind of favourite food or anything that you tried, something you'd never had before, or something that surprised you? Um, or something? I, I mean, I was going to say something a bit different. Of course, it was a bit different. You're around the world. Yeah, so very limited. We were in many cases very limited by this mm-hmm. vegetarian diet. So we ate a lot of pasta with tomato sauce. We, when we ate out, it was mainly pizza. Uh, in some countries, that's a very loose definition of what pizza was. Particularly Madagascar springs to mind. So we had all sorts of variations on a theme. Um, but I am going to pick two. The yep. first is Thailand. Thai Thai curry, wonderful. Absolutely, very different from what we get over, over back in the UK. Um, so we loved that. And we went to a Thai cookery class on an organic farm and learned how to, to make it. And never, never done it since, but the cookbook is still at home somewhere. <laughs> um, and I'm going to pick a liquid food. Um, so in Western Australia, um, in the Margaret River area, the wine is to die for. 
and we we made good use of it. Um, quite right. Yeah, we a month, after a month in WA, we had to go on a teetotal <laughs> calorie cutting diet because uh, <laughs> it had its impact. But yeah, amazing wineries. So we we toured round and uh, on one occasion uh, annoyed the kids massively by saying, "Tell you what, kids, just go and sit on that bank and do your diaries." And two hours later, we, <laughs> we emerged. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll touch on that the diaries and stuff. Um, before I get to that, one question I know people will be asking. What was in your backpack? We took less than we took less for a year than we would have taken on a two-week holiday. So every item had to work. Um, we had maybe three or four shirts. You know, we kind of our clothes would be on like a four-day rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have had we had we had we had six months worth of vitamins. Again, dietitian looking after us, and the, the the other six months were were mailed out to my friend in Australia. We picked them up halfway. Um, we had leech socks. Um, we'd have had um, two pairs of shoes each, so a shoes and shoe and a sandal. Um, walking zip off trousers, so you got short and and long trousers. Um, we. So here's the thing, 2008-9, there was no such thing as a Kindle. So we'd have had a guidebook for the country we were in, and we'd have tried to have a couple of books for the kids. And then we'd be going to charity shops and trying to find more as we went around. Um, We'd have had a packet of Uno, um, probably some times table books to kind of keep the the maths going. Mm -hmm. Kids' diaries, as you said, uh, and they travelled with us. And then, as the as the trip progressed, we'd pick up little bits and bobs yeah. from different countries, and we'd carry those for a while. And then, every three months, we'd do a mail back to the UK and lighten our load. Apart from in the last leg, the South America leg, where we carried that stuff around us mm-hmm. with us. So the last few weeks, for example, we're carrying a. a, a a hammock from Bolivia and wall hangings from Ecuador and all sorts, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so we got, it got heavier and heavier as we got towards the end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had to, we had to travel very light. Yeah. Um, and like I say, before technology as well, make life a lot easier. Um, obviously it's a family trip. It's not just you and your wife. You've got an eight year old girl and a 10 year old boy. Obviously the first thing is you've got to take them out of school for an entire year. I mean, I'm assuming they just, uh, they're young enough to be out of school and really let the world teach them a lot of things, I imagine. That's absolutely spot on. Um, Put quite simply, the world was their classroom. And they learned more in that year. Uh, So they missed P4 and P6. They learned way more in the world than they would have learned at school. And the school understood that, actually, Mm -hmm. to be fair to them. They They were... uh, shout out for Dunbar Primary School. They were brilliant about it. Um, the kids had to leave the school, so they came off the register and then re-enroll. Mm. Um, my daughter got back into the same class. My son went into P- P7 in a different class. But actually, that was quite good because that's transition year to high school anyway. So he got a new gang of mates, which stood him in good stead. Um, but, yeah, they they learned that they're old enough to read, write, and assimilate, mm-hmm. uh, and and they've got they've got maths as well to a decent level. So uh, we just laid on top of that, really. Whether it was a history lesson or a biology lesson or a geography lesson or whatever it was, uh, they learned as we go around. We went around, and they also learned a lot of soft skills, you know, um, about uncertainty and things changing and resilience and. You know, just all sorts. And and they became their each other's social circle as well for pretty much the whole year, uh, which created an a incredibly tight bond which, between them that we see till this day. Uh, and there's absolutely no doubt that when we made the decision to do this, um, and I described it to, to, to my wife as an investment. So it's an investment in us as a family, and in each of us as individuals. And then I said, 
I've no idea what, what that means, by the way, but I guess we'll find out in about 10 years' time. Well, we're about 12 years, 11, 12 years now on, and absolutely we found out in terms of the young adults that they are and their interests and the life that they're creating for themselves and in, indeed the, the life that Anne and I have created for ourselves. So massive impact. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you've obviously mentioned the kids went into school when they came back. Uh, what was it like for you going back? Still saying, you know, there was no job at the time and the wife's on a zero-hour contract. I'm assuming you come back at the right time for the house? So, yeah, we came back. Uh, so the minister that we rented the house out to, he moved out. Um, that was a stroke of luck, getting the house looked after like that, so that was good. Um, and fortunately, uh, had an interview the next week with the NHS and got the job. So she got a full-time job. Uh, it took me a year. So I was unemployed for a year. Mm. So uh, thank you, Gordon Brown, for child tax credits because um, they saved us. Seriously, made all the difference. Um, so we stayed on a budget. You know, I was going to Asda um, at eight o'clock every evening to see what items had been reduced. Um but it was fine. Um, and I was around to spend time with the kids and all the rest of it and, and, and went to work. Uh, and eventually a year later, I got a job. Um, not the job I would have wanted, but it was a port in the storm. And I did it for four years whilst the, the recession worked its way through. And in, then in 2014, uh, left that job and started my own business. Uh, and I spent the last seven years building that business to a point that it can work without me so that Anne and I can now go and, do the whole thing all over again. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's 12 years since the trip. Um, where have you been in that time? What, what other countries have you ticked off since? Yeah, so initially, well, we didn't have any money, but initially it was kind of just back to traditional, kind of standard family holidays. Mm. Um, we got over to the States a couple of times, um, various European city breaks and all that sort of stuff. And then the kids got to kind of mid-teens, and they started to do their own thing a bit, which allowed us to start to do our own thing. Um, so Rory, my son, he spent a month, month, a month in South Africa volunteering um, in the same township where we donated those football shirts. That was cute. Uh, he spent a month, no, two months volunteering in the Philippines the following summer and solo travelled around India for a month. The following summer, he went to uh, Mexico and Central America, solo traveling for the summer. And in Mexico, he met a young lady uh, who he's now married to. And he got a Mexican lady. So he got married to a Mexican lady in um, Mexico this March. Uh, and they're currently now back in Scotland. So you can see how the trips changed his life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter, when she was 15, decided that she wanted to, the next summer, do a month's voluntary project in Ghana. So at the age of 15, she raised fundraised £2,000 and went to Ghana for a month. Uh, sadly, a few weeks after she got back, she got glandular fever, which meant she never finished school. Uh, and after a short recovery from that, that turned into chronic fatigue syndrome which she's had for three years. Most of the last two years have been a wipeout and she's just been bed bound, but she's now making a, a slow but steady recovery from that and we'll get out of, we'll get out of it. And her interests are still very much informed uh, by the trip and everything that we did. Yeah. So it's had a, it's had a positive impact for her as well. Um, Anne and I, to directly answer your question, were then able to do things like uh, the Balkans. So we've done a couple of weeks in Croatia We've done a couple of weeks in Montenegro. Um, we've started a, a tour of the of former and current communist countries, not by design, but just the way it's gone. So um, we've been to we finally got to Vietnam. So we're two or three weeks in Vietnam. Um, we got two or three weeks in Cuba, um, and even during the pandemic, um, last. Uh, August, September, we did a four-week tour of the Balkans. Sorry, sorry, the Baltic states. Mm. So uh, Estonia, Latvia and Finland. And uh, at the end of last year, we then did three weeks in Tenerife where I wrote a lot of the book. So kind of had a write, writing retreat there. Mm. Um, 
And then we've been lucky enough to ruin a while, my daughter while uh, Rory's been away in Mexico. But he's now back. That's freed us up to travel. So uh, our plan is to re-enter a lifetime of adult, kid-free travel. Um, and we started two weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm speaking to you from Andalusia on day 13 of a 79-day road trip through Andalusia and Sicily, oh, which, which is yeah. just a joy. Yeah, it um, really must be. You've mentioned the book. So uh, on the experience of being away, um, first, obviously, is, is why, but probably why is it taking so long to write the book? And uh, kind of mainly, how has it been writing it and putting from, you know, these experiences onto paper? So I wrote blogs at the time and I always thought maybe one day they'd turn into a, mm. into a book and I just never got around to it. Like so many people, so many people say, oh, I could write a book, but they never do. Um, and I was very fortunate. I'm going to give a plug here because he's worth it. So I was very fortunate to come across a guy called Michael Heppel, Michael Heppel, uh, H-E-P-P-E-L-L. And Michael is um, a Sunday Times bestselling author. Uh, he's a coach and he's coached people like Davina McCall and Sarah Cox, and they credit him with changing their lives. Uh, and he's one of the world's leading presenters in personal and business development. And Michael um, ran a last, so last May, early, early lockdown, ran a, a masterclass called Write That Book. And my business, which is an HR and health and safety business, was just crazy busy at that time. So I thought, not for me. He ran it again last autumn. And I thought, I'll have a sneaky peek because I was starting to see the positive impact on others of having gone through that experience. And I got completely hooked. And um, I started that experience in late October. And in the end of the first week, which was a free pop-up group, I'd got a title, um, a cover, what's called the promise, which is the blurb on the back. And I'd written a thousand words. And I just went, right, I'm going to do this now. Mm. I don't care how busy I am. I'm going to find the time to do this. Um, and the title, Are We There Yet? wasn't even the title I was going to use. But someone in the pop-up group suggested it. And I just went, of course, that's what it's called. It's always been called that. Uh, and it just created it, had its own life. And it took me from first word to final word, first draft. It took me 80 days to write it, mm. literally, genuinely 80 days, which, of course, is a perfect time to write a book about going around the world mm. in 80 days. Indeed. Yeah, and it was such a joy because I got to go around the world all over again in lockdown. I just relived it all and all sorts of memories came back and I'd, I'd write something and share it with Anne and she'd say, oh, you missed that bit or that bit's wrong or what about that? Uh, so it came together really quite naturally. It was the book that wrote itself. I knew what the storyline was, the plot line. Um, I just had to find a way of telling it in an engaging way. And what I wanted it to be was inspirational. So anybody that was thinking about doing this would go, wow, if they can do it, then I can. I'm going to do it. And if that was only one family, then it would be worthwhile. I wanted it to be educational. So I wanted the reader to understand what it's like to travel as a family, but also to, to get insights into the places that we were fortunate enough to go to. And I wanted it to be entertaining. So it, it's full of laughs. You know, people laugh as they, they go, they find their way through it, as they read their way through it. So... The feedback and the reviews suggest I've achieved all of that. Um, you know, and the reviews have been fantastic. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's flying flying off the shelves, but it's a, it's it's selling steadily. Uh, it's on Amazon, and I keep getting you know a little check from Amazon every month. Um, I do signed copies, so people can contact me directly and get a get a, get a signed copy. Uh, and it's just a joy getting the the feedback. So yeah, I loved writing it. Um, it was exhausting, the process of not just writing it, but editing it and publishing it uh, was very intense. Uh, I had two launch events at the beginning of March. It was launched on my birthday um, and two, 
two launch parties, one with Michael Heppel, uh, where he interviewed me, and the other one with the chief executive of the Edinburgh International Film Festival. So he interviewed me. So they were great events. Um, and then since then, you know, I've been fortunate to, enough to do a few podcasts like that, like this. And you know, once a book's written, it stays written. So you know, I will talk about it, and people will buy it for forever. And even if they don't, it exists. It exists forever, and it's there for my kids, their kids, and their kids. There's a permanent record of of what we did. And I also recorded the audiobook. And that was a wonderful experience because I, and this is, might sound cheesy, might sound poignant, but I genuinely felt like I was talking to my unborn grandchildren. Yeah, you heard my voice go as I said it. I genuinely felt that's what I was doing because I've listened to recordings of my grandfather talk about his life long after he's been in the grave and it still touches me and I still learn from it. Yeah. So hopefully I've given that same gift to, to future gen- generations of my family. So yeah, absolute joy to be able to do that. Yeah, without a doubt. And th- like you said, the feedback is really good. Like I went on and looked at the Amazon reviews and you're like, oh, they're really good. And just to see what people are saying, if there's anything you could take out to mention. One thing I did like is how you put on Twitter that you'd announced you'd got your first one-star review. Yes. <laughs> it made me, a pro- I felt like I was a proper author. Every every author gets one star reviews and I hadn't any, had any. And then uh, somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody didn't like it. Um, and you can't kind of please all the people all the time. So uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, for some, it wasn't somebody's cup of tea. Yeah, I just found it amusing because I think you've got to you've got to laugh at yourself as well because at the end of the day, you know, it's never going to be perfect and it, and it might sound it might sound weird that I say this, but if you were to get five star reviews from everyone, you'd think, really? Is it really? And it, it's you know, regardless of you know podcast ratings and stuff like this, and the other mm-hmm. podcast that we do and that I do on Dundee United, you know, that's got like four point six out of five rating or something. I'm thinking. If it had been five out of five, I'd be really worried. You know, I'd be really worried. But it's those one-star reviews that just make you laugh and you think, well, I've written a book, you've no. So, you know, it'll be all right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah no, I, I completely agree, Ronnie. And I, I I found my voice when I wrote this book. Um, I found a, a writing voice. I mean, I was always decent at English. So I'm a you know, son of an English teacher. So mm. I've always been able to communicate reasonably well. But I found a writing voice and a style um and that that was fun finding that and learning how to write mm. um and i mentioned we're traveling again so yes i when the when the next pop-up club group and masterclass came along in the summer uh, i joined it and i decided to write a completely different kind of book i came up with an idea of a book of short stories all inspired by the music of the 80s. Right. And I started to write some, and I shared a bit of content with a few friends, and I went, this isn't, it's not doing it for me. I'm not passionate about it. I'm not passionate enough to learn how to write fiction, whereas I know I can write travel memoir, if this is the genre, if that's the genre that I'm in. I can, I can write that because I've, I've proven it. So I decided that, you know, maybe, maybe this, was, this was my life's work, as an author, and I'll never write another book. But now we've started our post-kids travel life. And um, on the flight from Edinburgh to Seville a week last Saturday, as we sat on, as we, the plane hadn't even taken off, and this notebook, which is called To Travel Is To Live, came out, and I started writing. And... As we're going around, I'm observing things as an author that I wouldn't necessarily have spotted as a traveller, let alone as a tourist. Mm. And I now know how to turn those into stories. So, um, for example, today we're in a, we're in a little hillside village um, on the Costa del Sol. Um, and the, 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 the chemist has a wider range of adult toys than you would find in the back the back of Ann Summers. Right? And I'm going, gold, gold, that's going in the book. 
and I know I can I can do something entertaining with it. So um, yeah, the new book has has started, and uh, it's very different because I don't I don't know what's going to happen with this one. Mm. I'm writing it as we go, yeah. rather than with the benefit of hindsight. But uh, yeah, good fun, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, in a whenever it's finished, it will be bring some more joy to to more people. Yeah, um, no, I wish you all the best with that. But see, see on the first book for for writing it for someone that's new to it. And you put your first draft in and stuff. Did, did, did you have a timeline to go to? Did you have like a a date you were aiming for, or what was it like going through the process of someone basically scoring something out and saying mm, that's not working? And and then and then what is it like when you finally get the book in your hand? Okay, so two things. So there's a lot of people who can. I mean, they say the average book takes two two years to write, and I can understand that. Uh, and Michael talks about a thing called the the author coaster. So you have surges of, 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 of activity and self-confidence and you have periods of massive self-doubt and, you know, who the heck's ever going to read this thing? Nobody's interested. Um, what I did was I was consistent in my application. So I wrote every day a minimum of a thousand words and I built momentum. So I never really hit that point of, I'm not sure I'm going to finish this. I just kept going. Um, and I made a decision that I was going to publish it on my lockdown birthday. Right? So my birthday is early March. So that was my first lockdown birthday. And by this point, we're staying in that hotel room because we had to move out of home. So I told people that that was going to be the date. And then you come back out and you're setting up launch events and all the rest of it. So it was highly pressurised, seriously highly pressurised to the point that the whole launch events are a bit of a blur to me, to be honest. It's like your wedding day. You just, you know, so much pressure before it all happens in preparation. You you can't remember the, the actual event um, or, you know, like footballers on a, on a cup final, um, which is it, is it Dundee United? Yes, indeed. Okay. You'll, you'll not really know what I'm talking about. Hey. But, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Setting a date. Um, was critical in getting it over the line. Yeah, I bet it was. And um, listen, it's been brilliant to hear the story. I've I've ordered the book. I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. Um, I took the plunge today. I just thought, you know what? It's just going to be. I'm not even going to need to speak to him. I'm just going to get it and, and and read it myself. Where can people get the book? And where can they follow your adventures? Lovely. So um, the book's on Amazon. So that's a very easy way to buy it. Um, you, if you just put my name in, you'll find it. There's, there's, I think there's one other book by Ian Pilbeam, and it's not me. It's about post boxes on the Isle of Man or something from a jeweller with my name. <laughs> so while we're there in on Amazon, um, if people would like a signed copy, um, then um, I'll just contact me directly, and I'll let you have my links, Ronnie, so you can share them. Of I'm course, on, I'm on Twitter, on Insta, and on Facebook. So it can be tracked down through all those. And there's also a familytrippers.co.uk website as well. Uh, and people can get, get in touch there and also get a copy of the audio book if anybody wants that. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about it and leave a review or a rating. If you didn't, then let's never speak of it again. These are the days.